0: And uh, it's, it's, it's interesting how, how the Lord works because, you know, it's one of these, these sermons that um, as the, the beauty of going verse by verse is that you can't skip. You can't just say, so last week or when, last time I preached here, uh, we preached on fasting. And how often does that come up, you know, as far as how many sermons do you hear on fasting? Well, this is another one on the Sabbath. So it's not like the beauty of verse-by-verse verse exposition is I don't get to pick and choose what I'm going to preach. The Lord picks it for me, and we got to roll with it and see what God's Word says about it. So in His providence, He's brought a lot of people today to hear about the Sabbath. Yeah. <laughs> now, you might be saying, well, this is, I mean, come on, what's, what? what this, is, this is boring, this is not relevant. But I tell you what, um, I have... I have preached this in God's providence for some reason several times in the last two or three years about the Christian Sabbath. And as I preach through it, I'll tell you right now. So uh, as a family, it's interesting. You know, we're all in the process of reforming and growing and being sanctified theologically and in our practices and everything like that. And, And for us and for me, this is one of those areas where you start out and you're like, all right, so... You know, we say the Ten Commandments, right? We're like, yeah, we hear about the Fourth Commandment. It's in there. We say the Sabbath this, the Sabbath that. Um, And we see it here in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament a little bit. But by and large, it's like, what do we do with this? Because you don't see anyone really practicing Sabbatarian doctrine in this era. And when I say this era, I mean like the last 20 years. Because supposedly everyone used to do that. Um, But here's the thing. I have two quotes. And I want to start with this. And I know I usually don't start with quotes or anything. Uh, But today I'm going to. So number one, there was a man. He was a Frenchman. He was not a Christian. He lived in the 18th century. But he said this. If you want to kill Christianity, you must abolish the Sabbath. Now who was that? Voltaire. Voltaire. Look at this. We got a scholar, somebody, right? Good job, man. It's Voltaire. Voltaire said that he was a he hated Christianity. Now, here's another thing from our own American, uh, one of our founding fathers of America. This is this is a law that was or uh, was a bill for punishing disturbers of religious worship and Sabbath breakers. Again, it's the 18th century, uh, and then afterwards, I'll ask you who said it. So we'll see if you know this one. Alright, if any person on Sunday shall himself be found laboring at his own or any other trade or calling or shall employ his apprentices, servants, or slaves in labor or other business, except it be in the ordinary household offices of daily necessity. And we'll talk about that. That's important to remember. There are exceptions, okay? Okay or other work of necessity or charity. It's amazing. They use this language. We're going to look at this language. It's great. He shall forfeit the sum of ten shillings for every such offense, deeming every apprentice, servant, or slave so employed, and every day he shall be so employed as constituting a distinct offense. So, in other words, it's not like it's just a one-time deal. Every time you do it, you get charged. Now, that was none other than the God-hater, Thomas Jefferson. And Now granted. When I say God ate her, he was a deist, right? So, (laughs) but here's the thing, okay? Here's the thing. I have to ask the question, right? The importance of the Sabbath, why is this relevant? Well, first of all, a seventh of your life is the Sabbath. The seventh, the first day of the week, right? A seventh of your life. So, uh, the other reason why it's important is because, you know, we have in this culture, even unbelievers, not atheists, whoever, right? There's this expectation or assumption that we just deserve now in our culture nowadays it's like two days off right but at least one day off a week atheists agnostics skeptics everybody kind of assumes right I deserve one day off well where does that come from that comes from a Christian worldview that comes from you in other words it's Christianity that has given us this concept that it's unethical for you to work seven days a week that's not right Well, where does that come from? It comes from the scriptures. And so as the country becomes more and more pagan, I guarantee you're going to lose. I mean, in China, they don't have that, right? And some of these other secular nations, they don't have this idea that, hey, there's there's over this amount of time, 40 hours, you can't go. They don't have that there, right? This is a Christian concept. Now, um, the other thing is this, the moral law, right? So we have the Ten Commandments talking about Exodus 20. We go through them every week, uh, usually every week. Here's the thing, okay? We say, well, yeah, we know that it's it's um it's it's not right to worship other gods. It's not right to commit adultery. It's not right to murder. It's not right to steal. All these, all these other ones, we're fine with, right? We're like, oh yeah, that's that's totally the case, yeah. But when it comes to the fourth commandment, again, and I'm I'm talking from my own experience, all right? And I'm with you on this. When When I'm saying that I myself am coming to a better understanding of this whole idea of the Sabbath, I mean that. I'm sincere when I say that, okay? So this is not to pick and choose and say, hey, if you're a Sabbath breaker, you're going under church discipline and everything else. Not at all. This is to say that the most important thing that we can have is... Reform when it comes to God's word, right? So we look at God's word and we say, okay, if this is what God's word is saying about this and my life is not lining up with this, then I need to change this part of my life. That's what this is all about, growth, right? So this is, when it comes to the moral law, we know that the moral law is um, the third use of the law. So, so there's a breakdown of uses of the law. The third use of the law means that even for Christians, the moral law is helpful for how we live and how we guide our life by so even though we're not under the law, we know that, right? Because by grace we've been saved. By grace we've been saved. That's the other thing that we're going to look at. Okay? You're not. If you, if you keep the Sabbath, that's not getting you into heaven. Okay? And secondly, what does it mean to even keep the Sabbath? That's what we're going to talk about. But the point is, is we are not saved by this, but we know that the moral law is there to keep us in the right track, on the right track, in bounds. So when it comes to the Sabbath, what do we do with it? Okay? Now, um, Lastly, here's how we're kind of, by God's grace, going to work through this. Okay, so there's, I'm going to give you three reasons for why the Sabbath is perpetual, meaning that it is still for today. Okay, three reasons. And then we're going to look at the two exemptions when it's not necessary to keep the Sabbath. Okay, and then we're going to look at some questions that are answered for us in the New Testament. Like, is the Sabbath abrogated? Is the Sabbath, why the first day of the week instead of the Sabbath? Those kinds of questions, okay? Um, And then lastly, we'll look at some practical implications as far as, well, what do we do on the Sabbath? What are we supposed to do? Okay, so again, I say by God's grace, I know that's a lot. uh, But this is, the reason I think this is important is because we can't truly appreciate what this passage in Mark is saying and what Christ is dealing with until we ourselves have a better understanding of what the Sabbath is. Okay, um, so that's why we're going to look at this. So it is topical, and and, and despite it being topical, we are going to exegete Exodus 20. So if you turn with me to Exodus 20, verse 8, okay, Exodus 20, verse 8, we're going to look at what God's Word says here from the the Ten Commandments, okay? So we're going to read 20, verse 8 through 11. And that's going, to, that's going to answer these three reasons why the Sabbath is perpetual, meaning it's still binding for the Christians today. Okay? chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God, and it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so first of all, verse 8, you notice the word Sabbath. What does Sabbath mean, first of all? What What is that word? In Hebrew, the word Sabbath means to rest. It's the same word. So whenever the Bible says that God rested on the seventh day, it's saying that God Sabbathed on the seventh day. He sabbath, He rested on the seventh day. Same word, okay? Number two, when He calls it holy, notice it says um, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. And then He's going through all of this. Um, at the very end of verse 11, He says, Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, what does holy mean? It doesn't mean morally or ethically righteous or pure. Holy means set apart. It's different. Okay, so now we have some parameters. Now you have something that's different and something that's set up as rest. All right. Not, Not too bad so far, right? Okay, now. Here's the thing. Number one, the reason it is perpetual is because there is a certain motivation. So turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And you notice in the Ten Commandments for the fourth commandment, it, God says to remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. Okay? Okay, Deuteronomy 5. Now, first of all, why would you, why would they need to be re- told to remember the Sabbath? You know why? This, this is what I think. Look. Do you think when they were slaves in Egypt, which was just like the day before technically for these guys? I mean, it was not that long ago when they they were they were enslaved in Egypt, okay, to Pharaoh. Do you think that they ever had a day off when they were slaves? They never had a day off, right? Not not once. So in, for the, the for the past however many hundreds of years in this culture, they had never had a single day off. Now, I can I can say for sure. Um, it's hard for me, and I, I'm sure I'm not the only one, to actually just stop and take a day off. That's hard. I hate that, to be honest. It's tough. It's something that you have to wrestle with and work through. And especially, now it's not to say that you're always engaged in your work or your 9 to 5 job, right? But it's hard, and we're going to look through this. It's hard just to stop and cease and to desist and be still for the sake of, as we'll see, remembering what the Lord has done for us, right? That's tough. That's difficult. But what we find is that, especially in a culture where this was seven days a week all the time, I'm sure these guys, that's why God had to say, listen, remember. Remember, don't forget. Why are, Why does he have to say remember? Because they are prone to forget. Now, look at this in, in Deuteronomy four, uh, 5. Okay? And by the way, I can also, let me say this, I know. I have never, with few exceptions, um, in my just Christian life, I... I for the last three or four years, since um, we have been trying to be more purposeful about observing the Sabbath, and we'll talk about what it means, you know, I promise you, there, this is a blessing for us. That's why I think it's so important to talk about it. It is a. Remember what we read in, in Mark. Jesus says, the Lord made the Sabbath for man. There's a reason for it. we're going to talk about this. So this is the first reason why it's perpetual. Look at Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well with you. You're like, well, we just read that. But look at the next part. Verse 15, this is new. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. What he's saying here is this. Think about it. So in the New Testament, the paradigm that the New Testament always gives us as Christians even, is you were once a slave in Egypt. It refers, Peter does it, Revelation, it talks about us being slaves in Egypt and being delivered out of our slavery. So what's going on here is the reason God tells them to observe the Sabbath is so that they can remember that they too were once slaves and how did they get out of slavery? God came in with a mighty outstretched arm, took them, delivered them, brought them through and so this day is to reflect on the ways that God has delivered us from our slavery. And this is something that is most definitely still applicable for us. Because we were once slaves as Christians. If you turn to uh, Ephesians 2, don't turn there. But if you were to turn there, you would see that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Christ says that all who sin are enslaved to sin. First Peter talks about how we were enslaved to sin. So being enslaved to sin, what does God do? He comes and He takes us and gives us a new heart, gives us a new mind, gives us new eyes. So that we actually desire to follow the Christ. We used to have no desire for it. We used to love our sin more than we love Christ. And now Christ comes in, saves us from that. He delivers us out of Egypt. And what what does He do? You know, in a sense, uh, we saw this with John the Baptist. You know, this, this idea of the wilderness. You know, we are in the wilderness in a sense. We haven't crossed the Jordan as far as our life goes. We haven't entered into glory yet. We haven't entered into our rest yet. Okay? But at the same time, we have been delivered. We have been rescued. And so the Sabbath is a day to reflect on the way and the grace of God for Him coming in and delivering us from this. Okay, number two. Um, and it says it here in Deuteronomy, and it says it back in Exodus 20. It uses the phrase, six days you shall labor. Six days you shall labor. Um, now, and I'm reading this out of Exodus 20 again. So six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, or rest. Okay, and then at the very end, Verse 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let me ask you a question. When was the first marriage? When was the first marriage in the Bible? Right after creation. Right? It was a Marriage is a creation ordinance. Be fruitful, multiply, creation ordinance. Ah! Uh, Work six days a week. Where do we, you know, so in other words, look, we're like, hey, you know, you you need to be working, right? Now, I know there's some circumstances where you're in between jobs, that's different. But the idea here is where is this idea that even as Christians, we're called to work? Where does that come from? Creation. It's a creation ordinance. Where does the Sabbath come from? The Sabbath does not begin here in Exodus chapter 20. This is not the first time that the Sabbath is mentioned. The first time the Sabbath is mentioned is back in Genesis, it's a creation ordinance. It's not something that's abrogated abrogated just in the same way or or done away with in the same way that marriage is not done away with, be fruitful and multiply is not done away with, working six days a week is not done away with, right? You're not going to find these things abrogated or done away with when they're creation ordinances. So again... This is something that's perpetual. God Himself was the model. It's a six plus one day. So you work six days, you rest on the seventh. It's initiated by God. God didn't need to rest. It's not like God was tired. We understand that. He's not. He wasn't tired. He wasn't worn out. Whenever He rested, you know what most people will describe it as? He was resting to behold and, and to enjoy the things that He had made. His creation, His work, His handiwork, Himself. And so what... Calvin and others have pointed out, and I think this is right on, why did God say six days and rest on the seventh? Why not, hey, you work eight days and, and rest for four days? Well, we don't know why, but here's the thing. Why does God work for six days and rest on the seventh? To, be an, to, to imitate for us, to be a model for us. That's why. Because he was laying the parameter, the groundwork, so that we can follow and say, okay, this is the pattern that God himself has given us to, to live by. So God Himself has set out this parameter. So again, it's six days you shall labor. Um, and then lastly, and by the way, this is the beauty of it. Look, God gave this mandate to rest on the seventh day before the fall. What would Adam have done on the Sabbath day before the fall? He would do the same thing we're doing right now. He would be sitting there reflecting on the things that God has done, worshiping God, enjoying God, taking time, intentional time away from the things of this world, to think about the things of God and to be with God's people. That's what he would have been doing before the fall. So how much how much more is it necessary for us after the fall to have this day where we intentionally step aside and come away from the world and reflect on the things that God has done? Okay? Um, and actually, I gave you a third one right there too. Six plus one is modeled by God. Um, so, so number one, I'll give it to you again. Number one, it's a day to recall the deliverance that we have in Christ. Number two, it's a creation ordinance. Number three, it's modeled for us by God. Okay, so that's that's kind of the groundwork as far as why is perpetual now. Are there any exceptions? I've told you there were. What are the exceptions? So there are exceptions. Like, for instance, if anyone was a firefighter in here and let's say all the firefighters got together and they're like, you know what? It's the Lord's Day. It's the Sabbath. We're not working. We're all going to church. Well, that's going to put the community in a bind. Because if there's a fire that breaks out, what are we going to do? Right. Or if the police officer. Okay. um, Soldiers. These kinds of work, this kind of these kinds of jobs, and it's not just that. I mean, there's other things, too. I know, um, like, guys on the dairy. I know this from a fact. You know, you've got to milk those cows, I think it's twice a day. Twice a day. You have to. Otherwise, I don't know what would happen, but it probably wouldn't be comfortable for the cows. So they have to be milked. So there are works of necessity. Okay, these are works of necessity. Now you're asking, well, this sounds arbitrary, right? I mean, where are you coming up with this stuff? All of this, like I've already shown you with why it's set, uh, perpetual, these two are in the Scriptures. Okay? Turn with me um, to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Minister is another job, I guess you'd have to do on the Lord's Day. That's what we'll see here in a minute, though. But there's, in other words, there are exceptions to this. Okay, um, look at chapter twelve, verse one. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. This is what we saw in Mark, in a sense. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, "Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath." But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to eat, nor for those with them, but for the priests alone. And we'll look at this next week, but you see what he's doing here, right? He's saying, listen, if you're starving, this is also, so the first exception is a work of necessity, the other is a work of mercy. Okay, if you're starving or somebody else is starving, and you're like, you know what, I can't really help you, because in order to help you, I'd have to break the Sabbath. So I can't help you out today. Wait wait till tomorrow. Well, that would be a violation of what Christ himself is saying is an exception. Uh, the exceptions are, remember whenever he's talking about your ox falling into the ditch? He's like, who, who would not go get their ox? Even the Pharisees, the strictest Pharisee, if their ox fell in the ditch, they would be running over there with a rope trying to get them out. Guaranteed. So there are things, there are there are exceptions to this. You know, God is not some kind of like, um, Well, I don't want to say, he's a God of precision, no doubt he is. But at the same time, don't think that, you know, if, if uh, uh, you don't want to, the, the, the difficulty about the Sabbath is that it can trend to legalism very quickly. But it can also lead to antinomianism, meaning without law, very quickly, antinomianism. So you have two extremes that you really gotta, gotta watch for. Okay, These are one of those extremes though. The Pharisees what they had done is they had come up with I think it's something like 1,200 different regulations that you would have to keep on the Lord's, on the Sabbath day, for them it was called the Sabbath day in order to not violate the Sabbath. 1,200. right? So at that point it's like, that's why Christ says, look, the Sabbath was made for man. Well not at that point it's not. Okay? Now that's the first exception. So, uh, priests arranging things for worship, disciples picking heads of grain to eat. Okay, these agricultural, first responders, military, that kind of work. You're going to need to work on the Lord's Day at times. Okay. Now, the second exception is a work of mercy. Okay, and this I kind of mentioned this earlier, but this is when like Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Um, so if you're driving to church and you see a guy on the side of the road and he's just been hit by a car or something, you know, and his legs broken, and you're like, "Sorry, dude, I gotta make it to church. I don't want to break the Sabbath." Right? That would not be a good thing. That would be a violation of a work of mercy. At that point, stop and love the guy. You know, help him out, fix his leg if you can. Recall, uh, call somebody. Call Eric. Eric probably can. Eric. Eric can do a lot of things. Um, rescue or help someone in need. So we all know these things, right? So if somebody's a shut in and you're like, hey, I want to visit them, those those are great things. Not now now again, don't use this as an excuse to necessarily like, hey I'm gonna so and so's she can't come to church today, so I'm gonna go hang out with her instead of going to church like that stuff. You know what I mean? So very it, it's very difficult if we're not looking at this with the right motive. Okay? So that's those are the two exceptions. Now thirdly Is the Sabbath abolished? Now, this comes up in in, uh, four different ways. Okay, is the Sabbath abolished? Okay, number one, we've already seen that Christ says the Sabbath was made for man. Now, turn back to Mark. Let's look at this. When when Christ says this, what does he say? He says, verse 28, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He doesn't say the Sabbath is no longer necessary. He doesn't say, hey, forget about the Sabbath. That's done with. No, he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. If anyone knows about the Sabbath, it's me. And what I'm telling you about the Sabbath is that it's not abrogated, it's not done away with, rather, it's something that God has given to you. For the purpose of what? Well, again, you know, the Puritans called the Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath, they called it the market day for the soul. Because in those days, what, what they would have is, you know, for, I don't know what your shopping tactics are, but a lot of times... Uh, you know, people go to the grocery store like three or four times a week. Some people do it once a month, etc. Well, in those days, the days that Puritans, the 17th century, you would have a designated day of the week when you would go to the market. And you would fill up on all the things that you need to fill up on. You know, get your bread and your meat and everything that they need. Eggs, all that, melt So you're filling up. They called this the market day. Well, the Sabbath they called the market day for the soul. Why? Because it's the same concept, but for your soul. The Sabbath is there for me to fill up spiritually on the things that during the week I don't I don't quite have the opportunity or the chance to get to because of all the things that God has called me to do with my work. Okay? So the Sabbath is a that's why they call it the marketplace for the soul. But what Christ is saying here is that the Sabbath is a blessing for man. And here's here's something else to think of, okay? In the ancient near east culture, that would be the time of Genesis, Exodus, things like that. Okay? The only people who were ever given time off were the king's and the king's children. Now think of this. The king's and the king's children. Nobody else got any time off. And so when God implements the Sabbath, what is he, by virtue, by implication, what is he he calling us? King's children. He's saying take advantage of this. This is a gift. This is a privilege. This is a blessing. It's not something to weigh you down with or to hammer other people with and say, hey, I saw you doing this or that. No, 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 right? It's, it's God saying, listen, this is a blessing for you to enjoy me on the Sabbath. That's why He gives it to us, because we're His children. That's kind of neat, right? Um, now, I want to look at... Okay, number two, here's the other question, okay? Why is it the first day of the week? So, so, you know, those days, it was the seventh day of the week. Today, the Christian Sabbath, or the Lord's Day, we call it the first day of the week. Why is that the case? Well, first of all, because we see this precedent in Scripture. So if you turn to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, ah, right? Right? There it is. On the first day of the week, what were they doing? When we were gathered together to break bread. That's usually a reference to the Lord's Supper. Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. So he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching something. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together. And there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. When he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, so again it demonstrates that they're still part of this worship service. Breaking the bread and eating. That's a that's a reference to the Lord's Supper. He he talked with them a long while until daybreak, and then left, which is amazing. How would y'all like that? You know, you fall asleep, you fall out of a window, you're dead. Paul comes, you're raised from the dead, and then you go back up, and Paul keeps preaching, not just for, you know, 30 minutes or so, but for the rest of the night. It's amazing, right? Anyways, so the point, though, is this. They're gathered on the first day of the week. You'll see this in 1 Corinthians 16 as well. There's two other places that we'll uh, we'll skip, but if you go to 1 Corinthians 16, same concept, same thing. Verse 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you do also on the first day of every week, He's assuming that they're gathered together on the first day of every week because he mentions in verse 1 it's a church. And they're collecting. Those are offerings and tithes. So, second, verse two, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collection be made when I come. So you see that they're 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 gathered together. And then in Revelation 1, you'll remember John, who receives the revelation from Jesus Christ, says that he was having a vision on the Lord's Day. So there's this reference to the Lord's Day. Now we have to ask ourselves, okay, the obvious answer is what? Well, what day of the week was Christ raised from the dead on? The first day of the week. The Lord's Day, right? Uh, the other thing, though, is this. You know, if. Okay, so the last day of the week, the seventh day of the week, okay, in the old covenant, they were looking forward to what God was going to do through the Messiah. It has not happened yet, it's at the end. Right? It's over here. So they have all this week to look forward, to look towards. But now that Christ has come and gone to the cross and died for our sins and was raised from the dead, now everything after that is looking back at what Christ has already done for us. So it becomes the first day of the week because we're already living in light of Christ's glory, in Christ's resurrection, and Christ being raised, um, Christ dying for our sins. Does that make sense? So they were looking forward because it hadn't happened. So it's at the end of the week, we look back because it's already happened. So that's why, and in a sense, this is a cataclysmic change. This is like the new creation, in a sense. This is a new creation all over again. So in in other words, in the beginning of the Genesis account, you have this creation happening. But then over here, you have this this cataclysmic event that's as monumental, if not more monumental, than anything else, than the creation itself. And that's when, when Christ was raised from the dead. Okay? Um... Now, Hebrews 4, here's the third question. Isn't Jesus our rest? Hebrews chapter 4. Okay, so sometimes you ask this. And these are all legitimate questions, okay? Again, this is just to kind of help us better understand what the Sabbath is, what's all this about. As Christians, how do we go about doing this? Okay, so chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. We're not going to read all of this, um, Look at verse 6. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying, Through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's future. So it's already and not yet in Christ. We already have this concept of rest. We've already been delivered from our sins. We've seen that when we talked about remembering how Christ has delivered us. But at the same time, we have not yet entered into that rest. We have not entered into that promised land. We haven't entered into the across that we haven't crossed the Jordan yet. So that's future tense, right? So in other words, it's not saying, hey. Christ is our Sabbath, therefore we don't have the Sabbath anymore. It's not saying that. Christ, when it's talking about Christ as our rest, it's yes, but not yet. He is our rest in the present right now. That's true. But at the same time, it has not fully been consummated yet. So there's no reason to abrogate the Sabbath just like there's no reason to abrogate any of the moral law. Because we're still striving against uh, the flesh, the world, and the devil. And God has given us means. Look at verse 11. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. If we were already in that rest, he wouldn't say be diligent to enter into the rest. He would say, listen, be diligent because you're already resting. No, he's saying we are diligent so that we will enter that rest, so that no one will fall. They're following the same example of disobedience. Okay, So in other words, that's one of the motives. And this is the beauty of the Lord's Day, right? We're gathered together, different people, different cultures, different parts of the world, different parts of the country, different jobs, different backgrounds, and yet we're all together worshiping the same one true and living God. You know what that's a foretaste of? The true rest. When we're gathered with the saints and we're worshiping God, we're giving praise to God for delivering us, and that's true rest. So every single week, we get one day that reminds us of what's to come. Isn't that nice? The Lord has given that to us. Okay. Um, and then lastly, okay, lastly, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 through 11. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. Now think about this. Now you know what the profane there is? is a Sabbath breaker. In that culture, those were the Sabbath breakers. They were the profane ones. The ones who profane the Sabbath. And so, if you notice there, this is the list of the Decalogue. Paul's not saying, "Okay, uh, the law is you know uh, for these people who, who set up themselves an idol or make images, you know, of, of God who, who's not God." And and and, uh, and are the you know the fifth commandment. They don't honor their mothers and fathers. What he's doing is this list right here. Everything in the in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, is right here in this list, including the Sabbath, including the Sabbath. Again. The unholy and profane. That's a reference to them. For those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers. Right? All those are contained in the Ten Commandments. All Ten Commandments are contained in verse 9 and 10. And that includes the seventh. Okay, So in other words, Paul's not like every one of them but that one. No, this is something that's perpetual, is binding, but at the same time, uh, the the question remains: Well, what am I supposed to do or not do on the Sabbath? All right, so you're like, all right, so I agree, it's perpetual, it's for today. I agree that um, you know it's 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 for the Lord's day. It's, it's on the first day of the week now, not the seventh day. Okay, what do I do though? Do I am I like Ben Shapiro and I can't turn my light on or what? You know, I can't. I, I have to. Have everything cooked the night before? What what am I supposed to do? That's a great question. It is a great question, right? Because that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. You're like, I got it all, but what do I do? Okay, so here's the thing. Number one, okay, there are positive commands that we can look at, and there are negative commands that we can look at, okay? Um, Does anyone have a confession of faith, by the way, one of those little ones? I forgot to bring one up. No, it needs to be the confession. Yeah, go ahead, Malik. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, so here's the thing. So positive commands, okay? We we see this in Scripture. So when you're looking at Scripture, you're like, okay, so what are they doing on the Lord's Day? We already saw this in Acts. What are they doing? Well, they're gathering together. That's the first thing, right? They're gathered together on the Lord's Day. Yeah, thank you, Malik. And they're, they're, they're fellowshipping. They're hearing the Word of God being preached. So that's the first thing, right? It's a positive injunction. What do we do? We gather together. Now, again, there are exceptions. If you're sick, you have the flu, you have COVID, right? If you have, uh, what's the new one? The, the new pox, the chicken pox, no, the uh, monkey pox, right? If you have the monk, whatever that is, right? Then there are times when you don't come. That's fine. That's okay. It's not simple. But as you're able to, that's, that's one thing that we know for sure, right? Um, number two is private worship, So we spend the day. These are things that we should be doing. What should we be doing? Again, a market day for the soul. It's the whole day, so how should we spend it? Well, we should intentionally be devoting the day to things that we're not able to do spiritually during the other six days a week. Like, I don't know. I mean, and this is where, like, I don't want to get into the details because then it quickly becomes legalism. You know, it's like, all right, you got to read your Bible two hours a day on the Lord's Day. you got to, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. In good faith, let the Lord work this out in your scenario, in your situation, whatever's going on in your life, right, as far as what am I supposed to do outside of church on the Lord's Day? Are you telling me I can't watch football? Yeah. No, I'm just <laughs> No, but I'm serious. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. No, but serious, serious, serious. serious. You know, um, that's a... That's a, that's a that, that's a complicated question, kind of. It really isn't, you know, but it kind of is, I know, for some people, for some situations. I remember my brother, when he was saved, actually, no, his, his wife was saved, and he was not saved. And he said, okay, he told his wife, because she, was, she, was, she got saved, she's really eager to go to church. And he said, okay, I'll go to church with you as long as you find a church that ends by 11 o'clock so I can go home and watch football. And, uh, and so anyway, so uh, when he got converted, you know, the things like, like uh, Willie's a good example because I think it was, you know, the very first time we ever met in the living room back in, in uh, at, you know, long, the third place we met like a year ago, two years ago. And, uh, and, and it was Sunday, but I remember Willie loves the uh, New Orleans Saints and, and they, were, they, were, um, they, were, they were in the playoffs or something. Right? So we tell Willie, hey, we're, we're, we're gathering over here. Willie shows up, man, and that's cool, right? Because at that point, it's like, okay, what if the Super Bowl is happening at the same time as our 3 p.m. worship service? That's a no-brainer, right? But in our culture, it's not. But it's, it's to say that, listen, as you're going through this, Truly, in good faith, ask these questions and ask yourself, am I truly honoring God when he says to rest this day and to remember and all these things, right? Am I truly doing that if I do this, right? Again, not in a legalistic way. I'm not trying to say, hey, you can do this or you can't do that. But there are things that are more obvious than others, I would say. Okay. Now. The, the second thing, so those are the positive things, right? So public worship, private worship, positive does not mean like good things. It means like things that I'm actively doing, okay? Number two, though, the negative commands. Negative does not mean bad, but it's the things that I refrain from, okay? So what do I refrain from? Well, physical work if you're able, right? Or whatever you do for those six days a week at work, whatever, whatever. Uh, Assuming that it's not a work of necessity, you don't do that, right? So you're abstaining from, you're resting from that. Number two, you're resting from worldly business and recreation. Now again, recreation is kind of like, well, I can't play like soccer or you know I can't kick the ball with my son or whatnot. I can't go swimming. Again, I think this is an area of sanctification and I think each family is going to dictate that and they should kind of where, where they are, right? Kind of on their own. Again, there are things more obvious than others. Uh, but at the same time, I, I understand there's leeway here, and I think, most importantly, it's being honest and saying, I really do want to honor the Lord on the Lord's Day. How do we do this? I think that's what it comes down to, okay? Um, number two, or number three, it's, now here's, here's, here's why I wanted this, because, um, you know, again, if, if this was any other culture but ours, this goes without saying, that on the Lord's Day, you don't do anything but worship the Lord and spend time with the Lord. In our culture, you don't see that hardly anywhere, right? Um, and so, what the uh, what the con- the confession is is so glorious because it gives you a very nice um, and yet at the same time, this confession right here, at least when it comes to the Lord's Day, the, the Puritans, the, the the reason it was important, the reason it should be important for us. Think about Voltaire again as we as we wrap up. Okay, Voltaire was saying, "Hey, you want to get rid of Christianity? Get rid of the Sabbath. Why?" Because he realized that at that point, once you knock that down, then the floodgates are going to open as far as looseness in the Christian life. Okay? And so he realized that. And so what happens is, is whenever, and I'm assuming that's what he meant by that. I'm, I'm, you know, looking into it a little more. I'm almost positive. But there is that tendency, right? Once once one of these things goes, what's going to keep the rest from tumbling? And so you go after that one. Why, is the, why that one, though? Because it's so... Again, it happens once every single week. It's 24 hours. It's a big thing. If you knock that down, what else is left? And so that's what he's looking at. Um, and so for the Puritans, what was happening in that context is that the king, knowing this, the king was very upset with these reformers, with these guys who were serious about the Word. And so what he did is he ordered in the pulpits every Sunday he mandated that this thing called the book of sports be read from the pulpit. And in the book of sports, it was basically this thing that the preacher, let's say I had the book of sports, I'd read it and I would say, okay, the king gives you license, and I'm paraphrasing, but it would be something like, you know, you are authorized and and told to go and have a great rest of the day and, and play sports and play everything and do whatever you want on the Lord's Day. And the reason he did that was because it was in direct violation to what he knew was, a, was an important thing for the, for the Puritans and for the, for the Reformers. And so he knew that this would be a way to kind of to get into these areas and maybe break down the people in their devotion to the Lord. He knew that. And so for the Puritans, they came out and they said, okay, um, when it comes to what we should do, they say this, this, this Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand... Do not only observe a holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations. Isn't that something? Even our thoughts, right? Try that for a day. See how often our thoughts go to the world. It's so amazing. And that's why I said I myself am learning from this. I myself am growing in this. I have not by any means mastered this. Because I am a wretched sinner. I tell you what. It's amazing. It's just like bing, bing, bing. Even controlling your thoughts. Um, But also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. Um, and so there's, 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 there's more here. But anyways, the point is, is look, you know, this is not to beat anyone over the head. It's to say, listen, attempt, I would say this, attempt to use the Lord's day in the right way, right? In other words, be conscientious and be serious about it. Say, okay, what does the, the Word of God tell me? What does the Word of God give me insight to do? And then apply that as your circumstances dictate. Okay, so that's the first thing. And in doing so, I guarantee if you are seriously, what I can say, as I said earlier, it is, it is a beautiful thing, it's amazing, the, the, the joy and the satisfaction and, and the true rest. That comes from intentionally trying to observe the Lord's day. That's what I've noticed. That's what we've noticed as a family. It's really amazing. And again, secondly, okay, be charitable toward those who do not do it the same way you do. That's the other thing, especially in our culture when this is new for everybody. This is new for me. This is new, right? So this is, it's not like we've been Sabbatarians our whole lives here, right? We haven't been Sabbatarians until maybe like right now. I mean, this is, so be charitable. You know, as you see so-and-so or so-and-so, I mean, just listen, be gracious, be understanding. We're all in a process of sanctification and growth, maturity. It's all different for all of us. okay? And number three, um, lastly, most importantly, I know I've already said it, but delight, delight in the entire day for the Lord. Delight in it. Again, it's been given to us, for us, so that we can worship the King. So it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. um, But at the same time, remember, it's a commandment. Isn't that something that God commanded this? You know, in the Old Testament, there was a story about a man who was picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. Y'all remember this? He's picking up sticks on the Sabbath day, and he gets busted. They find out. And they go to Moses. They're like, Moses, this guy was picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. And Moses is like, alright. He goes, he said, I'll be back. He goes and he talks to the Lord. Lord, this guy's picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. What do we do? Right? what do you think God tells him? He says, Moses... Have them stoned. True story. It's the numbers. Now, you're asking, what is up with this? What is up with this, right? Well, number one, that was a different situation. Okay, I'm not saying you should be stoned if you're a Sabbath breaker. <laughs> but it's to say that God was setting up a parameter, just like all of His commands. If you commit adultery, what happens? The death penalty. If you, if you make an idol... The death, right? So it's to say it's not again, it's not to say that this the 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 way to look at it is the general equity of it. Okay? So in other words, in the Old Testament you have this pattern in the moral law that tells us there's a certain expectation that God has of us and that these are for our good. You know, it's a good thing when God tells us don't commit adultery. You know, it's not like, ah man, what is up with this? You know? No, we don't say that. But when the Lord says, "Hey, take a day off and just give it to me," we're like, "Man, what is this, right?" So just think about these things. Think through these things again. Next week we'll see how Christ handles the situation he's in. But again, this is something that all of us just just observe, talk with the family about it. You know, if you have questions, come talk to talk to us. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm learning more also about this. But I am very much convinced that number one is perpetual, and number two is so important, and a very, very beautiful thing when done right. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we thank You for this, this Lord's Day. Thank You that in Your mercy You have given us a day to set aside for You. Thank You that our circumstances are such that we are not in slavery as the, uh, the Israelites were at one time. Thank You that we do have the liberty and the freedom to come and worship You and to, to uh, be with the saints And to talk about the things of You and to have this this market day of the soul. And Lord, we do need this market day so much for our souls. We need this day of rest. Thank You that You've made this day for us. Thank You that You've been so kind to us to actually give us a day. Although it's Your day, You made it for us to worship You and to rest with You, Lord. So thank You for this. Thank You for being a good God to us. Father, we pray that You would give us grace as we reflect on Christ who came and took on flesh and went to the cross and died in our place because you are a just God and a holy God and a righteous God. Lord, we praise you that even in this, when it comes to this, as we try to figure out how to how to, how to honor you, how to worship you on the Lord's Day, we thank you that you're not a, a, a hard taskmaster, but we do pray for wisdom in each of our lives. We pray that you would give us grace to better understand how to live, what to do on this day. Lord, thank You for being patient with us. Help us to be patient with others. And thank You most especially for Jesus Christ, the the great epitome of patience itself. Lord, give us grace to know Him more, especially through this Lord's day. In Christ's name, amen. amen.